Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with the scripture reading and a message. We would love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. If you are here in Berkeley, Epworth's worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 1953 Hopkins on the corner of Napa and Hopkins. Or if you connect with our podcast from further away, we would invite you to visit our website, epworthberkeley.org. We'd invite you to keep seeking to grow in faith and to stop by the next time you're in Berkeley. Good morning. Today's reading is from uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. And the story begins with um, Jesus walking with two of his disciples, John and James, to Jerusalem. But as a preface to this, uh, prior to this, Jesus had told both John and James that he would be, he knew that he would be encountering very difficult times in Jerusalem, which would ultimately lead to his death. Unfortunately, though, John and James really didn't understand this or were not listening very well, um, which kind of sounds like middle school students I sometimes work with. (laughs) But they also are going to be asking during the reading if they could be sitting at his left and right hand when he gets to Jerusalem. They're anticipating that he's going to be welcomed as a king, and they want to kind of bask in that glory. So today's reading. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When when the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of God came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Today's reading. Well, several weeks ago, I outed myself as not really a football fan. Maybe you were here that Sunday when I referenced Colin Kaepernick in my sermon, and many people made sure I knew afterwards that it's Kaepernick. (laughs) Right? Did I get it right? That's how you say it? Okay, Kaepernick. So I admit, I admit it. 
I don't really follow football. But I am a huge baseball fan. And I love the Giants. I appreciate the A's. <laughs> but the team of my heart is the Kansas City Royals. So I, oh, okay, thank you. I didn't expect, I should have known. I should have known there would be one. Okay. <laughs> So when I was 11, I remember listening on the radio with my dad as George Brett went four for four and lifted his batting average over 400. And I was a senior in high school when the Royals won the World Series in 1985. And you already know how old I am because I hear Ron announced it last week. So, <laughs> And our school closed down for everybody to go downtown and be a part of the ticker tape parade is a, a fantastic time to be a senior in high school and to have that happen. I love the Royals so, so much that one summer I got a job as a vendor walking through the stands of Royal Stadium. And this was in the evenings after my other job as a day camp counselor. It was the summer of extreme drought and heat in Kansas City. And the vendors got to pick what they were gonna sell that night by seniority. So the veterans that summer all were selling ice cream and lemon freezes and snow cones. I was on the bottom of the totem pole. So guess what I got? Coffee. No, it wasn't, it wasn't San Francisco. No. <laughs> I got hot dogs. Somebody said hot dogs. So I, so I had to carry this, this metal box about this wide and about this high around my neck. And on this side was a lit sterno <laughs> and boiling water, which the hot dogs swam in. And on this side were all the buns and the ketchup and the mustard and I think even onions and relish. And this thing was around my neck on a strap. And so I carried this thing up and down the steps, uh, over into the bleachers, up into the nosebleed section. And um, I remember that I had to wear these um, plastic gloves. That was the, you know, the, the law for sanitation. And by the third inning, all of the fingertips had about an inch of pooled sweat. Not, not very, not very appetizing. But I, but I still, I yelled, "Hot dogs, hot dogs!" Up and down bleachers, nosebleed, down to the seats behind home plate, and right above the Royals dugout. And one thing I noticed was that I got as many good tips in the cheap seats as in the more expensive seats and just as many smiles and encouragements and acknowledgments of the heat in the bleachers as I did behind home plate. It clearly wasn't the price of the seat that determined the character of the person sitting there. About the same time in my life, I remember hearing the following saying, be careful about your thoughts before they become your words. Be careful about your words before they become your actions. Be careful about your actions before they become your habits. Be careful about your habits before they become your character. And be careful about your character before it becomes your destiny. It wasn't the price or the location of the seat that determined the kind of character of the person 
who was sitting there. Well, in our scripture today from Mark, James and John are trying to get Jesus to give them the good seats. And it's really amazing to me how they address him. Did you hear that when Jeff read the scripture? They, they say to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask for, of you. <laughs> Have you ever said that to anyone in your life? Let alone Jesus? Let alone, you know, someone you, you revere and respect? And yet that is what they say to him. And, and I think about what my response would be if someone said that to me. And Jesus' response is the opposite. He is patient and generous. And he says, what is it that you want me to do for you? And they say, give us the seats on your right and on your left. In other words, give us the best seats. Make it clear to everyone that we're your best disciples we're your most trusted allies. Give us the power. Well, this scene comes near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's been traveling with the 12, and from what the scriptures reflect, he does seem to have a kind of closeness with James and John, but also with Peter and Lazarus and Mary Magdalene. These names come up more than uh, many other names, but not for the purpose of elevating them. And so Jesus responds to this request to sit at the right hand and the left hand with these words, simply saying, you do not know what you are asking. What Jesus is saying here is you two have missed the point. Following me is not about a life of power or privilege or special attention. To the extent that Jesus and his followers are becoming known and gaining some attention, this is only a byproduct of the fact that what Jesus is offering, this radical new way of being, not focused on getting and achieving and striving for privilege and prestige, feels like life to people. It feels like freedom. Jesus sees that James and John have gotten confused. They've fallen back and been re-consumed by the state of striving and lack of vision that existed before Jesus came for them. And when Jesus says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? And are you able to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We hear him assert to James and John that not only is he offering a different kind of life, this new life is not about pursuing anything but God and God's will. In this new and singular pursuit is freedom. Freedom from the insidiousness of power and privilege and striving and getting and spending. In the Bay Area, I think we know this kind of struggle that James and John seem stuck in. We know it well. We've been conditioned towards striving, towards competition, and toward the idea that our lives and the quality of our lives depends on money and power and prestige. That these things are a measure of the value of our lives and, by extension, the value of us. In 1930, the economist John Maynard Keynes predicted that within a century, 
per capita income would steadily rise, people's basic needs would be met, and no one would have to work more than 15 hours a week. <laughs> Sounds good, doesn't it? But clearly, he was wrong. Though income has increased, as he envisioned, our wants have seemingly gone unsatisfied, and we continue to work very long hours with many basic needs not being met. Though many of our leaders today want us to believe that money matters more than anything, our salvation will not be found there. So where does salvation lie? Where is the fulfillment we seek? There is such a need, a great hunger among us for, the, for the, a sense of well-being and for an existence in the peaceable kingdom that Jesus showed us was possible. What is salvation? In 2014, when the royals returned, after 29 long years, finally to the playoffs and then to the World Series, one of the key players was Salvador Perez, the Venezuelan catcher who was abandoned by his father at age four, then lived with his single mother who supported the family by selling homemade cakes and flan and lasagnas. In the wild card game to advance in 2014, and I'm sure some in this congregation know exactly who that game was against. I'm not going to say it. American League. <laughs> Perez was at bat in the tie game in the 12th inning. The game was in Kansas City, and the long, dry spell was hopefully about to end. And the only sound that could be heard in the stadium was, Salvi, 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 the chanting of Salvador's name. Salvador, which means salvation. Bring us salvation. Salvi, salvi. What happened next is, of course, in the history books, Salvi singled down the left field line, knocking in the winning run, moving the Royals forward in the playoffs and eventually to the World Series against you-know-who. <laughs> The next year, after another World Series trip in 2015, the Royals offered Salvi a five-year contract. He'd been the MVP, he'd been the key player in several seasons. And at that point, many players would have moved on to a more prestigious team, a bigger city, in pursuit of more money. But Salvi wanted to stay with his community. He said, I want to be like George Brett and stay with one team my whole career. And so he signed the contract and he immediately gave back a million dollars for an urban youth sports complex in Kansas City. And in the ceremony where this was unveiled, the crowds again chanted, Salvi, Salvi, Salvi. But the seats at this ceremony were free. There was an invitation to join in giving and in serving, and the only price of admission was to say yes. What James and John didn't realize is that the seats next to Jesus are free too. 
you'd get a seat by Jesus and you'd get the best view and you'd get closest to the action just by saying yes. Yes, I want to be part of this. Yes, I want a new life. Yes, this is where I put my trust, my faith, my energy, my hope. Yes, I want salvation. In 1739, a handful of people showed up at the door of John Wesley's home in London, deeply convinced that they were on the wrong track, that their lives were going in the wrong direction. They were weighed down by the brokenness of the world that had become their brokenness. They were groaning for salvation. The story is recounted in the general rules of the United Methodist Church, and it describes these persons as coming to Wesley, and, and literally the quote is, groaning for redemption. What they were chanting was, salvi, salvi, salvi. They asked if Wesley would spend time with them in prayer each day, and help them be free of the stress and weight of seeing no way out for themselves or for the world. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get in that place, seeing no way out for myself or for the world. But this story is an important one to remember because Wesley agreed, and he set aside one night a week for them to gather. Their number increased daily, and as they met, they worked out together more of the method of Methodism. Out of their meetings emerged the three general rules of our church, to do all the good you can, to do no harm, and to stay in love with God. And as we have attempted to follow these rules, those early Methodists and us later-day Methodists, and as we have attempted and made our deep commitments that allow us to go deeper and deeper in our understanding, we have learned that while saying yes is free, to follow the path is actually costly. It asks us to give up our former understandings, our former ways, our former life, and to enter into a whole new way of being. When Jesus answered James and John, he said, Are you willing to drink from the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be servant of all. The seats were free, but the price was putting behind a hollow and broken way of life and moving into a risk-taking, whole self-giving, deeply committed way of life that sought the living out of God's will and the bringing into being of the Jesus vision with everything that we have. So today on Commitment Sunday, we renew our commitments. Along with our siblings in faith who have joined this congregation this morning to give our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our witness, and our service. We commit to so order our lives after the example of Christ that we make real the vision of all having enough of peace, 
of striving only for full compassion and full justice. As the body of Christ gathered and renewed, we are assured that this is the way that leads to real life. This is the way of salvation. Thank you.